Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Go check out the new manifesto on lifestyle design, authored by yours truly, Buy Your Own Island, now available on Amazon. It's been called inspiring and empowering and one of the best new books on entrepreneurship. Lifestyle design for 2015 and beyond. Look for it on Amazon or go download the audiobook for free at buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. Hey, so I'm super excited for today's guest. His name is Michael Costeros. Michael has been a location-independent entrepreneur since 1998. Several years ago, he created and sold a successful software-as-a-service company called LiveBooks.com. Today, he's a coach to some of the most respected entrepreneurs in the world, and his mission in life is to help entrepreneurs awaken to their true potential, and his coaching company is called Entrepreneurs Awakening, entrepreneursawakening.com. He leads 10-day retreats to Machu Picchu where entrepreneurs converge amongst ancient shamanic healing and plant medicine and come home to their true purpose and calling. So I'm excited to have Michael on the show and just wanted to welcome you, Mike. Hey, thanks so much. Maybe you can start <clears throat> by uh, telling me a bit about your background beyond that standard intro and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Um, as you mentioned in the intro, where my life has brought me today is a place that I I never really believed would have been possible even just 10 years ago. Um, on one hand, since I was really young, I've been really drawn to Native American spiritual tradition and indigenous spiritual traditions and rites of passage in general. And so that always maintained a I was a part of my life on the side um, as a as a hobby and a passion. And then I took the entrepreneurial route. Um, <clears throat> and the idea that those two worlds could come together was something that I never I never dreamed to be true. And that's something that I'm hoping to model and share for for the listeners there to to be um, to show that it, it is possible for those two or three parts of your life to come together in a beautiful way that um, surprises you and brings great value to the world. Awesome, Michael. So tell me, what was your life like before you uh, started on this path, uh, before you became an entrepreneur? Did you feel like you were out of alignment? Was your dharma out of sync, would you say? <laughs> yeah, I definitely went through that phase of round peg square hole trying to find um i guess you would call it a career or fit into an existing career path in the world um maybe less than most because i i went to fine art school i got a degree in in conceptual fine art so my intention was to build a career as a as a gallery artist uh, based in new york city so um there's no cookie cutter tried and true path for that. But along the way, I fell in love with web development and particularly branding and graphic design. Yeah. Um, and that evolved into a web design company in the late 90s that focused on helping artists and galleries create online web presences that <clears throat> enabled them to actually sell artwork. Um, that was a uh, real passion of mine as so many of the artists I knew, including myself, were really challenged to make a living doing their art. When the internet came into its, into its own in the late nineties, it was like, Whoa, here is the way that we can actually make a living doing art. Um, doing the best job of that right now as an example. So, so how many years were you, were you doing that? Were you just kind of you guys were kind of just scraping along and just barely getting by. Did you work a, a side job uh, while you did that? Yeah. So what my life looked like uh, in New York after graduating from college was um, develop a website for 10 to 20 grand um, and then take 
two months off to make art um, and look for the next web, web gig. So like my web business was never really going anywhere and the art business was going as good as something like that can go, um, but not nearly as, as uh, satisfying as I wanted it to be. So I, I began to fall more in love with the impact that the web design work was having on the community I was serving, my customers, and discovered that I really, really just love serving people and making their lives more amazing, um, which in retrospect was what drove me to art in the first place. Um, I see. So, so you were driven by this this desire to, to help people and um, I guess reach the next level in their life, would you say? Yeah. yeah. And at that time it was through... Um, trying to help them sell their art online in a way that's never been done before. Is is that where uh, livebooks.com live came in? Yeah. So I, I dove into it. I saw a way, you know, I saw the big problem, which was at the time there were no content management systems f- that were um, consumer-facing. There were B2B ones, but not consumer-facing content management systems. And the big frustration, and I think some of you probably remember this time where uh, if you wanted to change something on your website, you had to track down your quote unquote webmaster and get them to change it for you, which was always a pain in the ass, costs money. And for an artist, particularly a professional photographer, to keep their site up to date, they really needed to update it almost weekly. Um, so <clears throat> I set out to design the best content management system ever created. And um, through, I don't know, make it sound easy, but through a, a couple years of trial and error, eventually found that and launched LiveBooks, which became the industry leader. Um, I think we were like first or second to market in that space, and definitely the only one that had an attention on brand and and user experience um, in the way that the iPhone did when it first came to market. So. We did really, really well. It was the rocket ship ride for sure. And so you scaled that up to 60 employees in just three years with several million in revenue. Yeah. Um, you had it all. Everything was going well, and then you left. Well, <laughs> I had it all. I mean, I had a, a uh, Silicon Valley-style startup that was funded and riding the rocket ship, um, which, yes, when from one side, that's having it all. And once you're in that rocket ship, it's, it's for me at least, it wasn't nearly as satisfying as I had thought it would be. Um, it was just so much work and attention. And once you take investment, then it became about bringing a return on the investment in three to five years and less about solving the biggest problems that your market is facing. Um, so I, I had the experience of juggling, juggling those challenges, what we wanted to do for our customer base and what we needed to do as a business. Um, and one thing I want to share, because I think many of you listening um, might have the, uh, come across the same challenge, is you know, when LiveBooks really took off, I saw that it had a huge potential. The investors we were talking to were looking at like $400 million exits. And, you know, I, my background was fine art. I hadn't, I don't have an MBA and I hadn't gone to business school. So um, I, this, my co-founder and I decided it would be prudent to bring on a third co-founder and hire them to to essentially run the company, find somebody who had been there, done that, sold software companies before. So we brought in uh, an extraordinary man, uh, Andy Patrick, to really lead um, lead the company to its biggest potential exit. And that was a big decision, you know, because you're letting go of control of essentially, in this case, it was my baby. I didn't develop it to get rich. I developed it out of passion, which most entrepreneurs do, especially with their first companies. Um, and what, handing what it, it over. Feel like? What did it feel like when you were handing over those keys and just giving it away to someone else? You know, it felt a bit like a, like a trust fall. Um, you know, it's a slow fall because initially it's a honeymoon period. And then as challenges face, uh, continue to come up for our business and opportunities. Um, it, clearly somebody who, you know, Andy had built a successful software company in three years during dot com and sold it for, 
you know, close to a hundred million dollars. Um, so he, quote unquote, he knew better. And so it was really a <laughs> analogy I like to bring up. It felt like, you know, your, your daughter's getting married and going off with another guy and he seems like a good husband and you know, you're, you're all for the wedding, but it's a bit scary because she's no longer your daughter. Um, and once you take on investment and, or bring in a leadership team that isn't part of the founding team, it's no longer your baby. It's really not. So, um, I don't regret the decision. It was great. I learned a lot. Um, and, in retrospect, what I would really advise any founder in a similar situation is that it's better to stay in the CEO position and f fail following your gut and your dream than it is to hand it over to somebody else and sit on the sidelines. I honestly believe that. It, it's, it's Really? Yeah. And, and why, why is it better to, to fail, would you say? Well, I don't, first of all, I don't know that your odds of failing are much higher than anybody else's. Mm. Um, the six, you know, if you just get to straight statistics, the chances of a software company having, a, you know, a, a, an 8x multiple exit are slim to none. It's like one out of what, 20,000 or something. Um, so the odds are ridiculous anyway. Um, and I believe in the passion that co-founders bring to the business and sure that could, those passion is also their biggest blind spot. So having a, a really strategic group of advisors that you trust to call bullshit on you. Um, but it's, is really important, but I, I would, you know, what it, what it cost me was trusting myself. And then you end up being like second guessing the leadership decisions. Um, and, and ultimately, when the company doesn't go, if the company doesn't go the way you would have wanted it to go, then you start to feel resentful and bitter, which I went through all those phases. And none of that was Andy's fault. It's just the nature of the beast. I see. So you started uh, it because you were so passionate about creating art and helping artists. And then once you handed off the reins, you felt that your, your passion was being diffused, I suppose. And, and you, you kind of lost, lost faith or... Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I believe if you have the passion to start a company and that company becomes profitable or you're you know on track to be profitable, if that's the way you're going, um, then you have actually what it takes uh, to, to achieve the success you want. And it's your life journey, really, in the end of this. It's, it's your life journey. So I, I would really advise that you hang on to the reins. Um, you know, take sage advice from great advisors and executive coaches that are there to see you win so that you can have that experience. It's like you were, gave birth to this thing. It's really yours. Um, and no amount of potential money or increasing the odds that you're going to, you know, make millions more uh, if you hire on an, a team to do it for you. It's just not worth it. Like on your deathbed, it won't be worth it. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. But, um, Michael, I want to ask you, uh, it's, it's one thing to tell people to follow their passion, but how are they going to satisfy all of their other needs uh, at the same time? You know, like uh, uh, the physical, uh, the need for, for money, the need for acceptance and belonging. Is it, mm -hmm. is it possible to have all of those at the same time? I believe so. I mean, the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur is work-life balance because when you're passionate, uh, you work all the time. And it's, um, even today, this is something I really struggle with. It's, is, um, I have more fun working than most other things. And life is so much more than our mission and purpose. And, um, I'm constantly balancing the habit of working, the habit of getting ahead of the, on the plan or the to do list rather, um, with the realization that today is the most important day of my life and being present to it is the highest priority um, in order to you know, enjoy the experience of being a human being living on earth. 
with all the challenges that come with that and all the joys that come with that and not just sit there at the end of the day going, what did I do today? And looking <laughs> at your to-do list and going, wow, I got a lot of shit done. Um, so, but so I don't not remember. getting lost in those, in those tasks and duties, right? And how do, how do you step back yeah. and, and appreciate uh, the day or find that appreciation? Yeah, well, I have my my little rituals of taking breaks. Um, I've set up my lifestyle so that, uh, you know, I think some people have a lot of inner inner discipline, and I'm I'm not one of those people. I need to rely on external circumstances to support my lack of inner discipline. So um, I work from home in an office that's on land outside of my house. Um, where I have to walk, uh, you know, five minutes to get to a bathroom and a kitchen. Um, and I'm looking outside and I take calls sitting outside. And I also have a two-year-old son, which is the, the best reminder ever of what's important in life. Because just playing with him is so much more meaningful than than anything in the abstract. Um and my wife also works from home, so I keep my family close. And on top of that, we, we live in a, a ex, kind of a communal experiment with two other entrepreneurs and their wives um, and kids. So we're in a big compound in Marin County with uh, six, seven adults and four kids. And all of us run our own businesses and um Half, half of it is, I'd say, lifestyle businesses and that are location independent. And one of one of us has got a full-on company that requires him to be in the office pretty often. So That's by creating amazing, a community, yeah, yeah, creating a community in a situation where um, I can't binge work all day. <laughs> That's fantastic. So effort. you've you've kind of created this environment that's really uh, conducive to uh, how you want to live your life and designed your life the way that you envisioned. Is that right? Yeah. 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 All of us have come together and say, you know, what's the bigger dream? What can we, where, how can we innovate um, lifestyle and family and neo tribalism, if you will, um, in the same way that we innovate in technology and software and, and transformation practices. And so um, one of my buddies who sold his company decided to put his money where his mouth was and bought this big, this big property, big house. And we all said, hell yeah, and just moved in. And now we're, we're like sorting it out. We're only eight months in, so it's still in the kind of figuring it out phase, but it's awesome. So awesome. <laughs> I love that. That sounds awesome. It, uh, yeah. It reminds me of the story in my book of a uh, guy, Tynan, who, he found this island up for sale, you know, for a hundred thousand. He just emailed a few friends, and uh, he's like, "Hey, this island's up for sale. Do you want to pitch in and buy it?" And they're like, "Hell yeah, <laughs> let's do it!" Uh huh. And like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll set up our own country and stuff. And uh, I just I just love that that initiative and how you just uh, you take action. Um, yeah. Well, it's like a company. I think you you know you have a passion. You're passionate about it. You have a great idea, and then you just got to dive in and see what happens. So, so how can more people get to this point where, where you are, Michael? And... Well, I'd say there's <laughs> just this coming out of my mouth sounds horrible. So um, there are a million kinds of people, but you could probably put a lot of them into two buckets. Let's put it that way. One bucket is you've never really developed a career because you're too antsy and you have too many ideas. And um, many of your previous employers had to fire you. Um, I would call that the entrepreneur type. And then there's the other type, which are people that are capable of maintaining careers and doing really well in a company setting. And I'd say that those are more the employee um, or structured leadership types that thrive within existing structures. Um, and for the path forward for, for those two are, are very different. Um, with the, for the entrepreneur type, it's about really refining and committing to one thing and sticking it through um, past the point of no return. 
And for, you know, generally speaking, for somebody who has a career, I think uh, having helped and seen many people try and make that transition, it's actually harder. And in short, I'd say uh, the interim step is to take a commissioned sales job within a company, because if you can't sell, then you can't build a business anyway. And if you aren't able to earn your own money through commission, then you'll be afraid to let go of your paycheck. So that's my um, 10 second advice on the best way to, to transition out of a great career, golden handcuffs into a self-directed lifestyle career. I see. But Michael, I'm, I'm seeing something at the root of the issue. And I think that is, um, regardless of what type of person you are, there's, there comes a time when you have to make a choice and you can change your life. And it, I think it comes down to an issue of whether you choose freedom or safety or comfort, right? Yes. It's, it comes to Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and is it, is it, would you say that, what, like 80 or 90% of people would choose uh, that comfort over doing what they really love? Well, look at human behavior. Okay. My, you know, my internal statistics department is telling me that most humans, the vast majority, maybe even 90%, um, follow their evolutionary DNA and choose safety over risk. Um, and we're, you know, for most of us, we're raised in a culture that was risk avoidant. So it's um, pretty difficult to take that risk unless that leap, unless you can't help it. Um, unless you can't help it. So is that when your your back is up against the wall and you just you have to swing like hell? Well, I think it's the people who could never hold down a career <laughs> in the first place. Um, well, uh, what I want to touch on is this concept of freedom and the idea that you can't be free and be a full-time employee for a great company. And I believe for sure that freedom is an internal experience that you generate for yourself. Um, and it, it's one of my the teachers I admire, Thich Nhat Hanh, a, a Zen teacher, he has a <clears throat> book called Be Free Where You Are, and it's written for Zen practices practices for people in prison. And um, it's really extraordinary reading that book and practicing those practices. And it's, you truly can be free where you are. And it's not, it's not dependent on external circumstances. So, um, so when they teach uh, prisoners to, I guess, have the impression or feel like they're free, is there, is there almost a degree of insanity to that? Like, uh, are, are they avoiding reality? And, and uh, no, there's a paradox. Life? That's for sure. Ins okay. Insanity comes when you can't embrace paradox. Um, you're too caught in a dualistic mindset of either or, and the universe doesn't operate either or, not on a physics level, nor on a practical day-to-day -day level. Um, so on one hand, you're in prison. You're not free. You can't choose to leave the prison. Um, on the other hand, freedom is generated from an internal experience. It's a mindset. It's not an external situation. And maybe we need a different word to like unpack freedom into three or four subwords that that we're generically that we're combining when we say the word freedom but i know lots of entrepreneurs that feel trapped i know lifestyle entrepreneurs that eventually will feel trapped so freedom's an internal experience that you is self-generated that's i wholeheartedly believe that so so why do we feel this need to uh create freedom externally it's a cultural conditioning. It's also uh, a byproduct of adult, uh, dualistic mindset. And the more you any non-dual philosophy or spiritual practice or um, experiences, the the more options you see because um, you can, yeah, like I said, you can embrace the paradox of 
yes and rather than either or. And with that, you know, for, for me, I think that's key to my success uh, in being able to create the life that most people dream of is that I, I don't I don't see anything black and white. And I'm able to hold black and white together, sim- opposing, seemingly opposing things is simultaneously true. And that reveals so many more choices, as well as the internal freedom and calm and presence to um, choose the best choice. I see. So when you say that uh, you have the life that other people dream of, do you, do you find that they're, they're looking at you and looking at certain external indicators? To yeah, I think they do look at external indicators. And, okay. you know, I live pretty private life. In fact, this is probably the first time I'm really talking about it to a wider off- audience. But um, from, you know, I have an extraordinary wife. We've been together for 15 years. She's a was a runway, top runway model for eight years. Really beautiful, incredible woman from... Um, and we have an incredible son and we live in an incredible community and I make a lot of money doing what I love from home and we're location independent. We spent five months in Peru not too long ago and we go to, we're basically traveling two or three months out of the year. Um, and I don't know what else are, are the things that most people are wanting. It's, I, I've kind of lost track because I've sort of had all of this for a long time. Maybe the the money thing is more recent than, um, you know, it's like the last five years where there isn't struggle around income. But, um, well, think, yeah, so it seems thing, like that's uh... pretty rad. I mean, I live in one of the best places in the world. It's crazy, ridiculous, expensive to live here. And somehow we're able to make that work. And, and I... Where, yeah, where are you, Michael? Are you Marin County? Or? Yeah, we're 30 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County in San Rafael. Michael, do you feel... Uh, so, so what you're saying is all of these things that you've created in your life, it all started with your internal freedom, right? I had to have the internal freedom to see these, this life as possible, the elements you know, the great long-term relationship that has lots of freedom and flexibility in it built into it, the, you know, the awesome parenting opportunity, um, and, and really hold, like hold that vision in my head as if it already was so, and reality was just waiting to catch up with it, or I was just waiting for reality to catch up with it. Um, but I don't think if you don't believe it's possible, then it's not. I mean, we're, I, I truly believe we're creating the universe with our thoughts and our beliefs. So, right. so, so you were visualizing. Um, you mentioned this gap uh, from where you want to be and where mm-hmm. where you are. And you, you, yeah, this... you spend each day just visualizing, like I'm Michael Costros. I'm. I'm going to manifest these things in my life, and then you go out and create them. See, the practice looks more like okay. intentional daydreaming. You know, for example, uh, this is the time of year where I lead my retreat to Peru, and it's a it's a two and a half month program, like combining an entrepreneurial mastermind with a adventure travel and um, working with shamanic plant medicines. And um, and executive coaching all in one big package, so it's it's a big deal and it's a big commitment. And I only take ten people, and a lot of people apply that aren't the right fit or the timing's not right. So um, it's an exercise in in trust. And so for that, I, I envision being at Machu Picchu with the quality of people, the 10 people, the quality of the people, not necessarily what they look like or what kind of businesses they have or their gender, but just like the quality of the human beings that uh, I want to serve or I'm best capable of serving all of us doing the things that we do on that retreat and seeing that like running a movie in my head of what that's like. And then reality is just kind of catching up to to it and it's it really seems to unfold that way you know each as each week another person joins the retreat and it's just like wow i couldn't have 
imagined a better person than this person who just joined. It's so, so I, but before I you go that, out and you do these retreats, you kind of just you run this mental movie through your head where you just imagine how everything's going to unfold, uh, and it, and the universe kind of brings these these blessings to you. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something I've I've worked with a lot with my clients. Is as you mentioned, the, the theme of this this year's retreat is to closing closing the gap between who you are experiencing yourself to be every day and the version of yourself that in your heart of hearts you know you're capable of being. And we look at what are the what in your blind spots, particularly in your subconscious blind spots, are the limiting beliefs and fears that are holding you back from being that natural expressed version of yourself. And then we focus on the throughout the retreat on uh, transforming those those beliefs and that's done through a number of ways but um, working with ayahuasca is actually the you know that's the the primary thing that really makes the big difference uh, in context in uh, concert with the the community of the group of entrepreneurs and the coaching around it is especially in integration Fantastic. I really believe that you uh, create more of your life what you choose to focus on. Um, but I want to talk about this this ayahuasca experience because you're you're speaking about it like you're. you're like everyone like, knows what it is. <laughs> well, like you're like you're helping people navigate through their own minds. And and before this call, you said that uh, with ayahuasca, you can either take a rowboat across the sea or you can take a jet plane. And ayahuasca is the jet plane. Uh, what, what exactly yeah. is this experience like for for people who who haven't taken it? Well, the, yeah, the <clears throat> again, we'll use the example of closing the gap between who you believe you're capable of being and who you're operating at the level you're operating at every day. And we can also play with the analogy of upgrading your operating system, just like you do on your computer. You know when the old OS is sort of getting creaky and you can see what would make it better and you're just waiting for Apple to release it, something like that. Um, I find all entrepreneurs, people that are really focused on being the best version of themselves possible and making a difference for the world are acutely aware of the gap between how they're operating and showing up in the world day to day and the version of themselves or the version of their business, uh, which is really just an extension of themselves that they believe in their heart of hearts as possible. And so there are lots of methods that we've conventionally used to help close those gaps. As an executive coach, coaching is one method that works uh, well. Therapy is always an important part of the conventional method because most of it's subconscious and psychological, not tactical or cognitive that's that's keeping you stuck. Um, but these methods are so slow. It can really take years, and it's really expensive over time. Um, and having being an executive coach and working with entrepreneurs and seeing their potential and believing in their potential and then watching them self-sabotage from their blind spots and helping them through that, I'm like, God, there has to be a faster way. And long story short, um, happy to tell the long story, but I moved to Peru, developed this retreat after my personal experience with how quickly ayahuasca was able to change some of those fundamental self-sabotaging behaviors. Um, and for um, the last four years, I've been leading groups of entrepreneurs down with this specific intention of using really what's an, an accelerator, just ayahuasca is an accelerator um, in this context to, to close that gap. Uh, and the analogy like that you brought up is, you know, someone who might say, why use ayahuasca or other plant medicines? Um, psychedelic plants used in a traditional um, indigenous or native context. So I used to refer to plant medicines. Um, I see. It's like, it's like, well, you could take a rowboat to Hawaii or you could fly to Hawaii and you know, I, it's fine <laughs> with either way, but um, you know, there's benefits to both probably downsides to both too. If you get to Hawaii too fast. You're like, Holy shit. And it's shocking. Um, but that's that's kind of a good problem to have. Rowing to Hawaii is conventional therapy and coaching. I think was is the equivalent of rowing your boat to Hawaii. And and you also said that um, our old operating system gets creaky and slow, and um, 
you're offering people an entirely brand new operating system. Is that so? What is what is the operating system? It's like the belief system. Is it the each person has their own higher consciousness, higher self, if you will, and um, the operating system that I'm referring to in this analogy is just the better version of yourself. You know, if you reflect, anyone can reflect on who they were, how they saw the world, what they were afraid of, what they believed was possible uh, five or five years ago. Um, If you're on the fast track, I'd say for me, it's like every six months. I'm like, wow, that's how I used to operate. And now that that seems so obsolete. Um, But before doing, like being really engaged in accelerating that, it was probably every five years I'd look back and go, wow, I can't believe I thought this way about the world and this way about myself and that this was possible. Um, So I'd say that's an example of like you're, you're running on a new operating system than you were when you were 22 and 25 and 30. So... I, I remember peak. that. Uh, sorry, yeah. I, I remember that David Dida says that um, in the way of the superior man, he says your purpose changes as you progress through life. Um, yeah, I agree. I have a, something I've learned from working with ayahuasca and and leading, I don't know, many dozens now, probably more than eighty entrepreneurs through that experience over time and tracking the results is, uh, is purpose is really a, a Western mindset you think that you want to know your purpose or knowing your purpose and having a mission is really the most important thing but really it's like what icing is to a cake if the cake isn't amazing the icing isn't amazing either um so so what we found is the purpose is the icing or is the purpose the cake the purpose is the icing. What the cake is, is your essence. So there's this quality of life force, this quality of being that is just you, and you were born with it. It's what you are 24-7. You're so close to it, you can't even hardly experience it. Um, it's why the people who love you love you, despite all of your faults and shortcomings. Um, this is the term that we use is... is I use as essence and out of your essence comes your unique special gifts. Those things that you do so well that everyone appreciates, but you uh, actually usually don't appreciate because it's so easy that it almost feels like cheating to just be that version of yourself. So what I've seen repeatedly with ayahuasca is the, the, in the experience of being with that medicine, it'll take you, to a place where you actually have a full body experience of your essence, i.e. really all the crap is removed away and it's just you, your soul self, if you will. And it feels so good. It's like a just full body homecoming. Every cell in your body is a yes. Um, And that is really what creates the extraordinary life is staying awake and aware and connected to your essence and by extension the gifts that bubble out of that essence Um, and then as icing if you want to create a mission and a purpose um, to channel your essence and your gifts into go for it but even if you don't everyone around you is going to experience you as a person who's um, living their purpose because if you're connected to your essence and giving your gifts every day long, all day long, the world just organizes itself around you. Okay, I have so many questions, and I'm not sure where to begin. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't hear too many people talking about this concept of of essence. And if if you do a Google search, you're going to get like cosmetic products and and you know yeah. perfumes. And I'm saying, so what? Tell me, Michael, what what is the nature of this essence, and where is its origin? You know, I'll, I'll speak from two. First, I'll talk about my own experience. The nature of this essence is, let's see, now we're, it's, it's language just. Because I feel like we're diving into work. a new, like a, a deeper concept of like the soul or something. And it's. Um, there's lots of words that apply. You could call it soul. Okay. You could call it, I think the, I'm not sure who coined the term essence. It seems kind of like a pan spiritual term. Um, 
it's definitely something used in the communities that engage working with with indigenous plant medicines. Um, but the, where I learned it was from Tim Kelly's book, True Purpose, which is the best book I've read on purpose. Um, and it's it's his position. In fact, that's where I got this position and then tested it and found it true through my work uh, that um, purpose is the icing on the cake. And really, it's about connecting with your essence and aligning with your gifts. And if, you're, if your brain has any job at all in life, it's to say no to all the things that take you out of your essence, uh, take you out of your gifts. I think Tony Robbins has a term for it. He calls it state. It's a bit different because that includes your your ego and your cerebral cortex. Um, he's like Tony Robbins, like, get into state, stay in state. Like, it's, it's your zone of genius. Um, but in this quality, we're talking much more spiritual and soul-based. It's not genius. There's, there's no brain. There's no you. It's just, I, I, you're right. We're, we're diving into an area that unless you've experienced non-dual consciousness through meditation or psychedelics, it, you, you just can't get it. It's an experiential thing. Language does not describe it. So, so non, uh, what was that? You just said dual consciousness? Non-dual consciousness. Is, is that where you're able to observe yourself? So... <laughs> what exactly is that for those of us who, who don't understand? Yeah, so um, we'll... We're going to reference Buddhist philosophy, if you will, or spiritual tradition, where the the material plane, this plane that we're engaging with all day long, is dualistic. There's you and there's me. There's black and there's white. There's opposites. There's pairs. Um, and but in in ultimate truth or ultimate reality or transcendent reality, a meditative reality, just you can add all these layers to it. Um, is there is no you and me. There's only us. There, it's, there is no black and white. There's only black and white. Everything's included. Everything's interdependent. Everything coexists. And therefore, just like on a quantum physics level, you can't separate anything from anything else. Everything is intertwined. And so this is like, you know, Bob Marley calls it one love. So this is the non-dualistic, um, non-dual state of cosmic consciousness or universal consciousness. There's so many terms um, and all of them kind of fail to actually describe what it is. It's something you can only experience. It transcends language completely. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think when Tony Robbins, when he says state, I'm thinking of like an emotional state, but what you're saying yes. is more like, um, this is more like a, a connectivity to, everything around you being one yes it. it includes you and everything else so uh my my interpretation of tony robbins state is yes it's very like listen to the music that gets you pumped up and know your gifts and like chant your thing or whatever it's very very head based and and he brings the body into it like has you jumping around or whatever so like head and body based and i find that tony's work transcends to the spirit as well although it's not his primary focus or languaging around it he absolutely fully gets that um and when you're doing the tony robbins state whether you know it or not you're also aligning with a deeper um aspect of yourself a spiritual access or act aspect of yourself now that said i don't think it's the best way to get there but um okay so so how do we how do we cultivate this more because i, I think i've experienced what you're talking about but it's it's very rare like i get glimpses of it uh from yeah. time to time and i i don't i can't i can't plan for it it just kind of comes it's true yeah. you're, you're really right you can't you can't plan for it it's so elusive it's like you know you can't even seek it really it's like a, a fish in the ocean and swimming searching for water i hear about this thing it's called water and it's supposed to be everywhere and i just want to find it have you seen it do you know any gurus who can help me find it it's like we're <laughs> in it so it's so hard to to see it water um, everywhere but not a drop to drink right i've heard that yeah 
Exactly. And I think there's a real reason why every single indigenous tradition or culture around the world who had access to plant medicines, um, psychedelics, um, always had multiple initiation and ceremonial rites that included ingesting high doses of these so that they could experience that transcendent non-dual state of consciousness and in start and integrate that into their everyday being and into the tribe and the community. And those tribes who didn't have it, uh, like particularly the Great Plains, the Native Americans in the Great Plains, they didn't have any um, consistent ritual use of psychedelics until much later in the late 1800s. Peyote came up from Mexico, uh, was introduced to the tribes, and they started using that. But they do four-day vision quests where no food, no sleep, um, no water outdoors with just one um, buffalo robe uh, alone in the woods. And that'll get you there. I mean, <laughs> you don't need uh, Or you can, you know, the Tibetans, they would meditate for hours and hours and hours. And the yogis would do yoga for hours. So you can get to it through many methods. Um, it just seems that humans who had access to plant medicines use those because they're just more expedient and and uh, the result is fairly guaranteed um, and after all we're a pretty pragmatic species yeah well you know Michael uh, I was just thinking as you spoke one of the most interesting guests I've had on this podcast is uh, Mike Spencer Bound and he's he's mm-hmm. been backpacking around the world for well since 1991 and and he said that he he would have these realizations because he would have this bush time is what he called it he would just kind of go yes. off on his own living in the wilderness mm-hmm. and he's he's just so interesting because of he's he seems like he's discovered something things that the rest of us haven't haven't you know and, and every time i talk to him i feel like i'm i'm getting a glimpse into what he's discovered but not quite the full picture yeah <laughs> yeah you can't it's totally experiential and if you were to do the same thing it would be very similar but very unique to you you know there's there's no two psychedelic experiences that are the same for a given person, let alone different people. It's totally unique to you. Um, it's a profound and unique journey. Yeah, and so you're you're about to begin a new retreat um, in April. Uh, what's what's yeah. the exact date of that? April. April. Leave the states. Uh, April twelfth, and 12th. you're home in your bed on. April 23rd. So we're gone for 10 days. Okay. And um, tell me tell me a little bit more about these retreats. Uh, well, I guess you did tell me a bit, but uh, tell me yeah, about, so, about well, uh, some I'll of your just... clients and some of the results, I guess. Uh, that's what I'm going to Well, the results are the only thing that keep me doing this because, okay. you know, I, I, half-joking, I don't need to go to Machu Picchu for the fifth time in four years. It's like... Um, I enjoy the experience of being down there and leading the retreat for sure. But, you know, I also have been there, done that so many times. And last year I took the year off to see if I ever wanted to do it again um, and started developing some new retreats in Mexico, which I'm excited about for next year. But I was called to do it again because the impact on the participants is so extraordinary. You know, each time I'm going to do it again, I go back to the people in the 2012 groups and the people in 2013 groups and uh, the 2000, there's only one guy in 2011 because that was a solo journey and get testimonials and say, Hey, so it's been two years. It's been a year and a half. Um, You know, was this a flash in the pan or what did it, what did it actually do for you? And all of them are able to articulate, no, this is the biggest turning point in my life. And here's why. And here's how my life is different as a result. And I'm just blown away. And I, I know many of I mean, I know all of them. We stay fairly close after sharing this experience. And so I just watch them take off and do their thing. And it's extraordinary. And since I'm in service of helping entrepreneurs become the best version of themselves, I just don't know a faster, better way to do it than this. And, it's, <laughs> you know, it feels like how could I not keep generating this experience for those who are ready to really take, take their life into their own hands. Um, I just, I can't say no. So that's what drives me to do it. It's 
certainly not the money and it's not because it's a new experience, novel experience every time. You enjoy helping people to, to awaken to this essence. Yeah. yeah, connect them to their essence, make them really, really realize their gifts, make them, um, they realize their gifts. We talk about purpose and mission because most of them already have businesses. So how does your how does your essence and gifts fit into your existing business? Um, and then lock in the practices and commitments that keep you in alignment when you go back home so that your business can be a more authentic expression of your unique um, truth, your unique gifts. Uh, not out of some sense of selfishness, but because that's what will make an extraordinary business. You know, Zappos is Zappos because of Tony. Um, and all of the businesses we admire that are really making a difference in the world and redefining what it means to be uh, an entrepreneur, those men and women are were following what Joseph Campbell says, following their bliss, following their essence, staying in alignment with their gifts and believing in them um, while staying flexible and open enough to take advice from, from advisors. Um, yeah. So important. You know, Michael, I, I think this is awesome stuff. And, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, this, this might be so new um, yeah. that it might be so like way ahead of like, whoa, you know, what, what is all this? I don't quite comprehend it. I mean, I'm really glad we can introduce people to this paradigm, but I think for many people, it's still so far removed from their reality, would you say? Yeah, we really are on the pioneering edge of Silicon Valley style entrepreneurship. I mean, this is, it's, I get it when I'm, even in New York, it's, it's, it's uh, not, it's not as uh, new, but you know, around here, I mean, CNN Money just did a, a pretty amazing video series article on, um, how Silicon Valley uses LSD just to keep a competitive edge in research and development and how many Nobel Prize winners credit LSD and other psychedelics to their their breakthroughs that led to their Nobel Prize. And, you know, this Tim Ferriss is narrating this, uh, this CNN money piece on it. It's like we're seeing a real resurgence in acceptance and, and or serious consideration of psychedelics as a tool um they're clearly not a class one drug um is there, is there any danger michael like uh, that's that's what people would probably think um the uh, the only danger with ayahuasca is if you're on a antidepressants um, it's counterindicated so that you can overdose and die from a serotonin overdose actually not a ayahuasca overdose but ayahuasca increases the serotonin so does an ssri and combined it can be toxic to the to to the body can't i'm not one to remember statistics but the amount of people that die from uh, prescription drug deaths per year in the united states it's it's like there's less than one percent of that die from any psychedelic related death which are, again, usually just stupid accidents from doing it in the wrong <laughs> set and setting. So I guess, I guess where I was kind of going with this was uh, the, the real cause of the fear is maybe xenophobia, where we just don't understand and we're, we're taught to fear drugs. And, yeah. 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 We're taught to fear. I mean, if, you're face, if your challenge is to organize society and keep people safe, it's much safer to just categorize all all mind-altering substances as dangerous and scare people because the people who are really drawn to it will go and do it anyway. And the ones that maybe shouldn't will buy into the fear story. And, you know, that's fine. They don't, no one's been prosecuted for doing ceremonial plant medicines, Um, maybe transporting them across borders, but not actually doing them. It's, and and you, can, you can reassure people that you're not going to turn into some junkie or something if, if you try this. Mm, I'd say alcohol and tobacco are two legal drugs are exponentially more toxic and, and dangerous, especially for addiction. I mean, it's just, <laughs> especially with ayahuasca, oh my gosh, it's so unpleasant. Nobody would ever want to do that more than they had to. Right. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing recreational about. Again, we're, I'm distinguishing between recreational use 
of psychedelics and uh, intentional ceremonial use, usually following an indigenous tradition that's been around for countless years, in awesome. some cases, thousands of years. But boy, how do we, you know, <laughs> we've gone all over the place we've, yeah. from entrepreneurship and creating a company. Let's see how we tie this all together um, <laughs> in a beautiful bow, which is the challenge of my life. You know, on one hand, I'm working with venture funded companies as an, as an executive coach, helping their their CEOs and co-founders to become better leaders. And we don't even talk about psychedelics and nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> And then there's a subset of those who are very interested in that, and those are the ones that ask to join the Peru retreat. Um, well, that's, that's kind of your work, right, is kind of tying these things together, tying uh, entrepreneurs and where they are and helping them get to where they need to be, basically. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. And yeah. I'm just willing to go outside of the box um, and go to a country where it's legal to do things that really, really work with little to no downside whatsoever to help people become who they believe they're capable of being and then support them in a coaching capacity to develop the practices to change their habits and and engage with their lives differently well thank you for your your work michael it's it's really quite something remarkable um if someone is not ready to to kind of take the leap and do something like this, you know, if it's, if it's not in their current paradigm, what are a few things that they can do to, uh, maybe take the robot, I suppose, and, uh, cultivate this essence and attract more of these, these blessings, blessings into their life. Yeah. If you want to go with the non-substance approach, I just fully embrace, and I did this myself, um, Zen Buddhism, the meditation practice of Zen Buddhism, um, you can even leave the Zen and the Buddhism part out. Really, it's about training your mind to be present to your thoughts. So you're creating this third-person perspective so that you can recognize and know your mind and therefore not believe it unless you want to. Um, so developing a meditation practice, the Headspace, the app Headspace is Amazing. Totally, totally great for building a meditation practice. Um, and I also think Jack Cornfield and Thich Nhat Hanh are two kind of secular Buddhist meditation teachers. You don't have to become a Buddhist. They don't want you to become a Buddhist. They just train, teach the mindsets of the meditation. Um, but that's a prerequisite for, I think, all of this work and for awakening in general is to develop that consciousness that's observing your thoughts, observing your internal reality so that you're not in a perpetual reactive state to life. You can experience life as it's happening and then make choices about it. I believe it's also called uh, mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is, yeah, that's and, the And being secular. able to observe your own thoughts and feelings. Sure. Yeah, to be awesome. present, to be here now. This is it. There is nothing else. And there's also tomorrow. Got to embrace the paradox. <laughs> awesome, Michael. It's always a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thanks. I enjoyed the, the spiral dynamic nature of this conversation. No idea it would have gone to the places it did. And uh, I'm really curious to and happy to answer questions for anybody out there um, about this topic. Yeah, and uh, so how can someone get in contact with you? That's a good question. Hmm. They, they can go to your website, uh, entrepreneursawakening.com. Yeah, but that's pretty much a, a password-protected community. Um, I'd say what I would prefer is uh, friend me on Facebook and send a message saying, hey, I heard you on Danny's uh, podcast and I'd love to follow up with you. Um, that would be the best way to do it. I don't, I don't have an email mailing list. I tend to work pretty underground and by word of mouth. And so building the Facebook community and, and communicating through that would make the most sense for me. 
um, if you're interested in the retreat, then I would give you, I could give you the URL for that through Facebook messaging. Okay. okay. So just, just get in touch with you privately. Yeah, I think that's best. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for the work that you're doing and uh, changing people's lives and, and creating this awareness. So welcome. Thank you for the work that you're doing, bringing all this information from fascinating people <laughs> to the world. It's so, so inspiring. I'm excited to have you on my podcast someday soon. Excellent. Yeah, let's, let's, let's book it. Okay. Well, thank you, Michael. Have a nice night. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye.